0: This is The Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now here is Pastor Jim. Well, hey, everybody. Uh, We're back uh, for our uh, midweek verse-by-verse Bible study. It's good to have you here. And some of you are watching live Wednesday at 4 o'clock. So if you are, could you do me a favor and just say hi so we know who's out there watching live? Also, we know that some of you watch this later on as a podcast, or you might catch it on YouTube starting tomorrow. Uh, just be aware that those are all the avenues. And then, of course, from here on the church Facebook page, I'll put it on my personal page. It'll go to the Harupa page. Uh, we just try to get this out. And we think in time of pandemic especially, but anytime really, that we need a verse-by-verse verse study. We need more study. And this is called The Bible in Depth with PJ. I'm PJ. We're in uh, this little old Old Testament letter of Ruth. It's loaded. It's a great book. It's a love story. And I like taking application from the love story. And I like doing the symbolism of Jesus Christ and Ruth, the church and stuff like that. And what we're going to pick up right now is at verse 19. But let me back up and just say that what has happened for those of you, uh, just for the sake of connecting to the last uh, teaching, uh, Naomi has gone to uh, Moab. Uh, It's a famine with her husband Elimelech and their two sons, Melon and Killian. And the two sons get married and then something bad happens there. They leave Bethlehem. They go because of a famine. They go to Moab. And the the husband dies. The sons die. And now you have three women, uh, single women left uh, to fend for themselves. not easy to do in that that, uh, part of the world in that time frame and uh, so they have to make some hard decisions and this the Naomi hears that there's food back in Bethlehem in Israel the promised land which they never should have left she's going to go back one of the daughter-in-laws Orpah she goes back to Moab to find a husband there Ruth says no I'm going to follow you because I want your God to be my God wherever you go I'm going to go and so now they're traveling back and it's been about 10 years And so we pick up the story um, in verse 19 of chapter 1 of Ruth, where um, uh, they, ba- they arrive back in their hometown, in, in, in Naomi's hometown of Bethlehem. And here's what it says. So they both went until they came to Bethlehem. And it came about when they had come to Bethlehem, <clears throat> that all the city was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? Now, I've entitled this message, Begin Again. And we all need to begin again in certain um, parts of our life and at different times of our life. And the great thing about Jesus Christ is that uh, because of what he's done on the cross, we can always begin again. that the past is washed away. Uh, we live in a world right now that wants to bring up the past from 30 and 40 years ago and 10 years ago and this year's ago. Not biblical at all. Not biblical at all. Aren't you glad that Jesus washes away the past? And so they're going to begin again. And I know in my life, sometimes I need to begin again. So they come back <clears throat> and they've they've turned around, they left Moab and they've come back to the promised land. And, and by the way, The word repent, we typically give that a negative connotation like, oh, you're doing something bad and you need to turn it around. And repent means basically turn around and walk the other way, 180. But repent's a healthy word because if we've made bad decisions, gone down wrong roads, uh, not because we deliberately try to do wrong things, but just mistakes we've made, uh, we can repent, we can turn around and go a different direction and God can begin right there in our lives, all new, again. And I, and I really like that, and I, and I really need that. But they basically turned around and went back home to Bethlehem. So this was about um, probably 15, 16 years ago. And it was a Saturday night going into Sunday morning. And I had to get up early. And at that time, we were setting up and tearing down at Centennial. Some of you might remember this story. It's a true story. At about 1230, 1 o'clock in the morning, somebody's trying to break into our house. Somebody's at the front door, and they're shaking it. And we had kind of these glass decorations. And they're looking through it, and, they're, and they, they can't get the door open. Uh, Olivia, my wife, wakes up because she wakes up for everything. She wakes me up and says, somebody's trying to break in the house. So um, <clears throat> I, I go outside and there's steps going down. I can see there and I'm staying above like this sitting on the top on the landing. And I can see that they're looking and trying to break in. And I'm sitting there, what do I do? What should I do? And I contemplated it for about three, four minutes. It felt like, you know, a, a, a lifetime actually, but it wasn't. And then finally I said, go wake up Nathan we're going to get a couple bats, we're going to go around the back, and we're going to go around the front, and we're going to confront this guy, and we're going to do something about it. And of course, my wife's not. No, no, you know, she starts panicking because she doesn't know I'm like Batman and Superman combined. And she goes, no, 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 call the police, call the police. And so, okay, I'll call the police. So we got the cell phone, we say, somebody's breaking into our house and they're they keep trying to do this they're looking in there and they're and, and they're even saying at times come on open up and it's just crazy it's just weird you know it's twelve thirty one in the morning I got to preach in the morning and uh, you know I can't be Batman now and uh, and so the police come rolling up and and they confront the person now let me give you the bigger story because it's kind of funny my neighbors across the street were having a big old party uh, they're good, they're good people, but you know, they're not Christians and the big old bash and people were a little bit intoxicated and drinking up, and this was one of the people. And so in their drunken condition, they thought that my house was the house behind them, the party that they're trying to get into again. And that's why they're at the front door trying to open it, going open the door, this and that. And if you think about it. And once the police pulled up, the guy was so embarrassed and the family across the street was embarrassed. And I said, don't worry about it. You're going you're gonna to burn in hell. No, I didn't say that. <laughs> I said, no problem. Don't worry. Because I want to be a good neighbor. I'm not going to be condemned here and stuff like that. I mean, that's, I remember when I was like that before I came to Christ. But if you think about that guy at the door, all he had to do was turn around. If he just turned around, he would have seen the house across the street all lit up, all the cars, and but all he saw was my dark house, everybody asleep, and he's trying to get in the wrong place. Just turn around. Just turn around. Let me tell you something about life. Sometimes you just gotta turn around. If you're making bad decisions, going down wrong roads, turn around. Why is it we continue, some of us, to keep trying the same things, we call that insanity, with no change in outcome. Now, in Revelation chapter 2, because I want to talk a lot on relationship in, in this book, because it's a lot about a beautiful relationship between what's going to develop in chapter 2. But in Revelation chapter 2, it gives us this idea of begin again and turn around and everything else. It talks about, in verse 4 and 5, But I have this against you. He's speaking to the church there at Ephesus. I have this against you that you have left your first love. Hmm. So what happens when we lose and leave our first love? This is a good relationship marriage one. It says, when that happens, therefore, remember, he says, to remember from where you have fallen. Remember where you've come from. Remember what it was like before. just remember and repent Ah, change directions. Do a 180 turn around. And do the deeds you did at first. Oh, or else I'm coming to you and remove your lampstand out of its place unless you repent. He says, remember what it was like way back and repent, turn around, turn around and go back and do the deeds you did at the beginning. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? And if it does, why don't people do that? And I'll take it into relationship. If if you've lost that whatever love and feeling or whatever it is in a relationship, and that can happen because life pulls at you and there's temptations, you need to remember what it was like when you first started dating. Repent, turn around, and then go back and do those deeds you did at the beginning and then see what God does. Now, back to uh, Ruth uh, uh, chapter 1 and verse 19. The One of the... Questioned at the women, and it's the women. The city is stirred, which means Naomi must be somebody everybody knew. And the women are stirred up, and here's what the women say when they see Naomi. It's been 10 years, guys. They see, is this Naomi? Now, I I wish I would know how they said it, why they said it, but but let me kind of speculate, because only because I know verse 20. Is this Naomi? Can can this possibly be her? Naomi means pleasant. I sure don't look like her anymore. Something's different about her. You know, we say, you know, life is hard on some people, life is hard on us. Yes, but we can be hard on ourselves by our life choices. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. They I'm I'm imagining that they don't quite recognize her. It kind of looks like her, but something's different about this lady. Something about life has impacted her in not so nice a way. Well, let's see possibly what that is. And that's verse 20. So they both went, I'm sorry. She said to them, do not call me Naomi. So they go, hey, is that you, Naomi? She says, don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. Mm. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. They go, Is this Naomi? Is it you, Naomi? Don't call me Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara. Mara means bitter. Isn't that great? Don't call me pleasant. Call me bitter. <laughs> oh my gosh. Has this lady changed a lot? Now, <clears throat> Here's what I want to say about this verse. Don't make pain your identity. Did you hear what I said? People love, especially today's, I mean social media, people love to make their pain their identity. I refuse it. I refuse to do that. Well, Jimmy has not been through pain. Really? Everyone has been through pain. Everyone has been sinned against. Don't kid yourself into thinking, oh, it's just me or a few of us. No, everyone has. Do not make pain your identity. You know what she's saying? Don't call me pleasant. My new identity is bitter. Call me bitter. That's who I am now. I think America needs this truth more, maybe more than other truths right now. She's making pain her identity. In other words, she is reliving her pain every day, every hour, throughout the week. She's reliving her pain. I'm going to expand upon this. It's interesting to me, as a Christian, I follow Christ, and it says that Christ died once for everyone. Now, there are certain religious persuasions that try to make him die every Sunday, but that's not biblical. He died once. What does that mean? It means many things, but let me give you one application here. He doesn't go back and die again and relive his pain and relive the torment and relive the torture. He doesn't do that. He has moved on from there. He has resurrected past the pain. He's not going to stay there living in the pain. Do not make your personal pain, your identity. Make yourself, make your identity in God, in Jesus, and everything that goes with that. Now watch this. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. I love this verse. Some of you won't like this verse because it will challenge you to change your life. And some of you need to share this message with somebody who needs to hear this. Verse 15 of Hebrews 12 says, See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God. None of us Christians should be coming short of God's grace, God's favor to us stinkers who don't deserve it. Now, how can we come short of the grace of God? He says that no root of bitterness uh, springing up causes trouble, and by it many be defiled. Let me say something about many be defiled for a second there. Did you notice in the story that Ruth is not bitter? The young girl Ruth is not bitter. Naomi's bitter, but Ruth not bitter. She's not buying into the bitterness at all. But Naomi is spreading bitterness. She's causing trouble. Let me tell you about bitterness in life. First, let me ask some questions. I wrote something down here first. <clears throat> Are you bitter? Not easy to answer, huh? I like that Naomi, at least she says out loud, I'm bitter. At least she's saying it. If you can't admit it to yourself, you will never let go. And you know what? Bitterness will be your identity and everyone will know it. Because they'll look at you and say, is this so-and-so? It's almost like you're saying, what happened to you? Who are you bitter at? Even bigger question, what is bitterness doing for you? I can tell you what it's doing for you. I'll tell you multiple things. I'll tell you one. Bitterness drains you of emotional energy. But bitterness, coupled with anger, because they go together very well, revs you up again and gives you energy to make it through your day. Some of you teeter on the verge of possible depression because your emotions wear out because you're bitter. You're you're, you're just bitter, and something I wrote in my Bible a couple years ago about bitterness in this verse, I wrote down, bitterness unresolved evolves. In other words, you can't just keep it in one little location, it grows, it spreads. In other words, this, you can't compartmentalize bitterness, it bleeds everywhere. You can't keep bitterness in the glove compartment of your life. It'll bleed over the dash of your life, the seats of your life, the engine of your life, over the tires of your life. It bleeds over everything. And it bleeds on the people around you. And that's an important thing. You know why? Because if, you're, if you have people around you, younger brothers and sisters or whatever, or you have children, you're going to pass it to them. Do you want them to grow up bitter? Do you want them to learn this dysfunction? No. Why would you want that? And why would you want to go through life like that? It's a heavy, heavy burden. You know, my son Nathan has a saying, and he likes to use it when he's poking fun or playing a game. And he says, he'll always say something like this. And he says it just like this. I'm in your head. I'm in your head. And he loves to use that statement. And so, and he used it against me like last week when I brought some of them. He goes, I'm in your head. Who's in your head? If you have bitterness and unforgiveness, who's in your head? Who's in your head? Because whoever that is in your bitterness, you're just revving, revving, revving on the inside all the time. And boy... You are just getting worse and worse in the head because bitterness unresolved evolves. And it's wearing you out. And it's turning you from Naomi pleasant to Mara bitter. And friend, you don't want that. You want healing in your life. You want to let go. Verse 21 of Ruth chapter 1 says, now watch what she says. She's talking to the people and Naomi says, I went out full. But the Lord has brought me back empty. Oh, the Lord did that to you, huh? How many people blame God for stuff God didn't even do? God didn't tell them to leave Israel. And then she says, why do you call me Naomi? Since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me. And God's afflicted me. God's done. This. God hadn't done anything to her. She brought it on herself. Okay. But watch what she said. I went out full Meaning, I've come back with nothing, I'm empty. But I went out full. You know what that tells me? Listen, somebody needs to hear this. Even in the leanest times of your life. Even the leanest times of your life. You and I just don't realize the good things in our life until we lose them. Even in the leanest times, there are good things. Because it was famine when they left, and she had a husband, she had two sons. Now she don't have anything. Even in the leanest times, we realized, man, we did have it pretty good. Um, So I I take my dog Max out walking uh, every night practically. He likes to go out there to do his last bathroom run. My boy Max, he's 13, and he loves his daddy, and he isn't a dog. He's a little boy in a fur coat, just for the record. So we go up front, and uh, last week I was walking him, and I walked down to the corner, and I started thinking, you see, down at the corner, my brother, my oldest brother, Bob, he used to live across the street right there from me, about three doors down the corner, and there his house was. He passed away seven years ago. It's hard to believe it's been seven years. And I started thinking about, man, I remember I'd come out here with Max, and my brother liked to come out at about 10, 30, 11 at night and he'd stand out there in the cool air for a few minutes and sometimes he'd be out there. Um, and I'd take Max across the street like Max and I'd try to get Max to pee on his lawn and stuff, you know, because I'm a good younger brother. But I thought, you know, he's been gone and, and I thought, man, it was so, he was so fun and funny. And uh, I thought I, I, I missed going to the movies with him because he, after all he paid and he was the older brother. But I miss that. It's like, you know, you don't, realize, you don't realize how good things were until you don't have it. And uh, he was a good thing in my life. There are some good things in your life that you don't realize they're good right now, until they're gone, until they're gone. Take care of those things. Be wise with those things. Now, she says in verse 21, she calls God the Almighty. You know, that's got to be a transition moment now in her life. You know why? That's El Shaddai. You know what it means? It means the breasted one, or like the breast. And we would say it like this God is the nourisher, God is the satisfier, God is the supplier. She calls God my nourisher, my supplier and my satisfier that's what she calls him in that moment right there that has to be a transition moment let me tell you what i think what i think in the transition moment what's going she's learned a hard lesson they left bethlehem israel the promised land because it was a famine and she went out to a foreign land to get provision to find supplies They left on their own thinking, in their own way, and she learned the hard lesson that you obey God's word, that was the promised land, you stay there and I will supply for you there. And now she's come back and she's learned to seek first the Kingdom of God and His righteousness and then all these things shall be added unto you. You don't veer out of the will of God, you follow what God says And God will supply, God will supply. She says, God's my nourisher, God's my supplier, God's my satisfaction. I've learned a hard lesson. Now, verse 22 says, So Naomi uh, returned and with her Ruth, the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. Fantastic verse. You and I read it like, okay, she's come back, and they're in Bethlehem. It's barley harvest time, but let me tell you what's going on. What what is jumping out from that verse right there? This is a fresh start verse. This is like the begin-again verse. She's transitioning. She's admitted her bitterness. Now God's my satisfaction, and here's the transition. Here's where it happens. You know what the barley harvest, what season of the year that is? It's Passover, She comes back at Passover. You know Passover if you don't. That's when in Egypt, the night before they were going to leave, the last plague, the death of the firstborn males, they had to put the blood of the animal on the doorposts and on the lintel. So when the angel of death came by that night, any door that had that blood, the angel of death would pass over and the firstborn male... Would not die. Would not die. The New Testament says Jesus is our Passover. It's his shed blood. When we acknowledge him as our Savior, Lord, and only God, we put our faith in him. Our sins have been passed over. They have been washed away. Now, check this out. She comes back bitter, Mara. She needs a washing she needs a cleansing of only what only God can do, that Passover-type, blood-type idea there. She needs that for a fresh start, and so do you. Now, Exodus chapter 15. Great verse that I think is a great cross-reference to these verses. Watch this in verse 22 to 25. It says, and they've just crossed the Red Sea now. Israel has just left. They've crossed the Red Sea it's a high point. They're having a great time. They've sung a new song. They've been delivered. And now they're up there in the desert. Moses leading the way. It says, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. And they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. Hmm. That's a predicament. They're out there in the desert. There's no water. Now, it's been pointed out that here, Because Moses has experience of 40 years in the desert. This is a leadership one for somebody out there. This is one of those times that Moses did not seek God on where to go, but Moses just led them, and he pays the price, and they find no water. He goes on his own experience. I've been here before, 40 years with sheep. I know where to go. They go, no water. Always, no matter how much experience, seek God, and seek God to know where to go. But there's no water, and there's 2.5 million of them. When they came to Mara, Mara, that's what Naomi said to call herself. Call me Mara, call me bitter. They could not drink the waters of Mara, for they were bitter. Therefore, it was named Mara. Mm, that's amazing. <clears throat> so the people grumbled at Moses, saying, What shall we do? Now the people are grumbling. Ever notice that um, bitter people grumble a lot? Bitter people have a lot to complain about, especially people they're bitter at. You find why would you want to be this type of person? (laughs) They're they're grumbling now. Oh my gosh, Moses, you brought us out here to die. That's good. They're going to be their cliche now. You brought us out here to kill us and this and that. Hey, hey, guys, 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 you know what's going on here? For 400 years, generation after generation, they're Moses' slaves. Now they're free. And they're complaining. You need to give me, Moses, give me, give me, give me. Wait a minute here. Shut up. It's time now, as a free person, to take responsibility for your life. They're not used to that. They're used to handouts. You need to give to me. I'm a slave. Give me this and give me that. Stop it. Stop. Quit thinking everybody's going to have to give you stuff. Take responsibility now. Quit complaining. Quit getting bitter and now go out and get it. That's a good message right there, huh? <laughs> now, well, I could really go off on that one, by the way. Uh, verse 25. Then Moses, he cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree. Not just any tree, not just pick a tree, but a tree, a specific tree. And he threw it into the waters, and the waters became sweet. Uh, there he made for them a statute and a regulation, and there he tested them. I love that right there. They're bitter. They're complaining. They want people to do for them. And God says, well, Moses, what do I do, God? Get, see that tree? Yeah, that tree right there. Yeah, Get that tree, cut it down, throw it in the water, in those bitter waters. He does, and the waters turn sweet. The Bible says that Jesus hung on a tree shed his blood on that tree, that cross. He took the curse on that tree, took all our bitterness and all of our anger and all our emotional baggage and all these things and all of our victimization and all this stuff. And if you allow him, he can turn that bitterness into sweetness. You can go back from Mara and become Naomi again and be pleasant and pass that on to your kids, on to your siblings, on to people in church. Somebody out there singing, you don't know what I've been through. You're right, I don't. I don't pretend to. I know what I've been through. I know what made me bitter and angry. What I had to deal with and who I had to forgive. But let me show you somebody who has been through worse than you've been through. And we find in Luke chapter 23. It's your last verse. In Luke 23, well-known statement, Jesus on the cross, he has been through the worst of tortures. He has been through hell and he's still in it on that cross that day. And on that cross, he opens up his opening statement. Verse 34. But Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they are doing. And they cast lots to divide up his garments among themselves. So Jesus, he didn't say go, I'm going to make my pain my identification. I'm going to live with this pain for the rest of eternity. That's who I am. I'm going to be bitter, angry, unforgiving. I'm going to be a victim. Everybody's got to do for me. No, he didn't do that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do and he makes an excuse they don't know what they're doing and he was free he was free to go in to live out the rest of his eternity which he's living out now without bitterness isn't that something ours is our culture so backwards that's the way to live We're teaching our culture to be in bondage to anger and bitterness and everything else. That's the way to live. Be careful with your bitterness. Get rid of your bitterness because people around you are seeing it. If you have children, they're learning it. You say, well, they won't learn it. Oh, come on. They're going to learn it. But let Jesus, as he hung on the tree, as Moses threw the tree in the water. Come on, admit it ask forgiveness, forgive others so you can be pleasant again and not have somebody or people or a multitude in your head anymore, anymore. Let's just let Jesus be in your head. Hey, God bless you. We're going to end right there. Thanks for tuning in. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at NBCC.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.